Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. NFL Total Access is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. It's Tuesday, March 21st, and you're listening to NFL Total Access, the podcast. That is the voice of today's special guest. Full disclosure, it took him two takes to get that line done. He is the pride of the Warhawks, the Louisiana Monroe Warhawks. He is the pride of the Mountaineers, the Appalachian State Mountaineers. That's how we say it in Virginia anyway. He was a quarterback, a leader of men, and ask anyone who knows him, he still is. He was a scout for the Ravens, the Eagles, and the Browns, and now he's one of the best draft experts in the biz. You know his boyishly handsome face as one of the faces of the draft on NFL Network. You know his voice as one of the voices of the Chargers on game day. First name Daniel, last name Jeremiah, DJ to his friends, and a first-timer on the pod. Welcome to the pod, good sir. That was a phenomenal, phenomenal introduction. I appreciate it. Most of it was somewhat accurate. Somewhat accurate. Yeah. First question, uh, what would Daniel Jeremiah the scout have said about Daniel Jeremiah the player? Um, we would have started off with the positive, so we would have talked a lot about <laughs> intangibles and work ethic and all that good stuff. And then, unfortunately, it would, it would veer onto the field and you would see things like lacks arm strength, uh, lacks ideal frame, worry about durability um and then uh and then it would say in the bottom we would we'd love to have him at camp if our first 10 options are not available <laughs> you're being humble i know uh, your field vision was exemplary so was your timing and touch uh based on your uh, underskilled arm as you are calling it i suppose you had to rely on that uh so glad you're here and thank you so much for making the time to for us today i'm your host nfl network senior writer andrew levy and on today's show TikTok, we are on the clock let's hear it Today is the day that so many of you have been waiting for. It is a day to celebrate the Dallas Cowboys. Now, Cowboys fans, of course, will quickly remind us, DJ, that every day is a day to celebrate the Dallas Cowboys. A little bird told me that you have a little Dallas Cowboys fan a minute. We will scratch at that itch yeah. in a moment. Plus, DJ's got a new mock draft. Who's up? Who's down? And in what order do the top quarterbacks hear their names? Is there a fifth quarterback in the first round? According to DJ, the answer is yes. Who is he? We'll find out. Should Baker Mayfield be nervous? Should Kirk Cousins be nervous? That's on the way. But first, this. In a season in which we spend most of our time discussing the transition from prospect to pro, Cam Newton is taking a road untraveled by most, the road from pro back to prospect. Cam Newton heading home to show that he still has what it takes to make an NFL roster, it says on NFL.com. Newton, who hasn't played since the 2021 season, announced via social media on Monday his plans to throw at his alma mater Auburn's Pro Day on Tuesday. In a short video, Cam Newton, Superman, number one, added, quote, ain't 32 blankers better than me, end quote. You can decipher for yourself what blankers means. Cam Newton, of course, believes that he is still good enough to be a starting quarterback on one of the NFL's 32 squads. DJ, it begs the question, is there still tread on those tires? Where will Cam Newton be this season? On the field, on the bench, or on the couch? 
I think if he really wants to do it, I think he'll have a chance to be on the bench. Okay. So he would be a backup who could maybe get you through a couple games. I don't think anybody's going to hand over the keys to a franchise to him at this point in time. So I think he'd have to be comfortable taking a backup gig. And, and it might not be a backup gig that's presented right now. It might be something that as we get through the inevitable injuries that are to come, uh, that he would find a roster spot. If you were a GM, what's the right GM? What's the right front office that may show interest in Cam Newton? Or maybe the better question is this. If you're his agent, where would you like him to end up? What is the right place for a guy like Cam at this stage of his career? Well, I mean, I would think winning is going to be really important as opposed to just going somewhere where you could find your way onto the field. So if I were him, I don't think there's a starting gig available. I would be looking at some of those top teams where I could come in there and be that insurance policy in case something does go wrong. So when you're thinking about that in terms of, you know, the AFC, you look at places like Cincinnati, obviously with, with Kansas City, you have that as, as a potential opportunity. With Chad Henney has moved on. Nobody talks about that. You've got the Chargers who have... What about your Chargers? Yeah, you have. All them across the street. Yeah, they, they re-signed uh, Easton Stick. So Chase Daniel, a uh, friend of the, uh, of the network, I don't know that he'll be back. Yeah. So there could be an opportunity there as well. Now you've got a hulking, another hulking quarterback in Justin Herbert who's been very durable and played through injury. But I, to me, I think if, that, if I'm Cam Newton getting in his shoes, I would, I would want to go someplace where a contending team and, uh, and, and see if you can't be able to, to fill the gap if something were to happen. Translation, Cam Newton, if you're listening, and of course you are, there is hope. You are listening to NFL Total Access, the podcast. Andrew Levy with scout, analyst, commentator, and draft expert Daniel Jeremiah. Father of four, by the way, which seems unlikely considering you look like you're in your 20s. My daughter's getting married in November. That's not possible. Yes. Words of the day, moisturizer with sunscreen. I'm assuming DJ has a good one. Right now, you have a good feel for yeah. the first round of the draft and how it will play out. Before we get to your mock draft, a couple specifics I want to name check and ask you about. I'm curious about your process. Yeah. I've always wondered this about guys like you, DJ. How important is it for you to be right? Are you agonizing in the days leading up to the draft, hoping that the way you saw it is the way it plays out? Is that important to you? And if not, why? It really isn't. I would say when I first started, and this is, I think, my it's going to be my 11th draft on uh, working with a network, and maybe the first couple ones, and you'd agonize over every mock draft, and then you realize, you quickly realize that you're going to get a third of these things right on a perfect year. That's a unbelievable year. You get 10, 11 of these picks, like that's a good year. And, and you start realizing, you know what, that's, it's impossible. Two trades, one trade, shake up the whole thing. It right. screws up your whole mock draft. You get one wrong and the ripple effect Yeah, it just it impacts. And so my whole thing is I want to be talking about the right names of guys. So, you know, if there's, you know, this year 31 first-round picks, yeah. I, as we're kind of going through these mock drafts, I want to get fans familiar with the names. I want to know who these first-round caliber players are. And most years, if you look at it, I would say it's usually 27 around probably would be the average 27 of the 32 picks you have somewhere in your mock draft. And so, okay, we're talking about the right people. Let's explore some fits, why this would work and what the ripple effect would be if this happened, then this is how the draft could play out. It's running a lot of different scenarios. Um, but my thing that, that I love doing is just trying to introduce these players. I feel like there's hardcore draft nicks out there, but the majority of the audience doesn't know these guys. So it, I feel the responsibility in my role to kind of say, hey, these are who these guys are. Let me tell you about them. This is how they'll be successful, and this is maybe a reason why they might not be successful. You know, it's funny. I think about my mother, my father, and my brother when I do my work. They are my audience. I want to, because they're not necessarily NFL heads. Mm -hmm. So my father's not even with us anymore, but there's that kind of like tacit understanding that I want to make him proud. Mm -hmm. But on the other two, for my mom and my brother, I want to give them the information that they don't even know they would be interested to know. Yeah. 
So is that your audience? Your audience is me at home. I want to get it right. I want to be more well-informed. I want to know these names that my friends don't know. I 100% agree with that. So I had a job in the league in scouting, and my job in that role was to be able to present information for that room. Yes. So you spoke in a certain language, right. you communicated in a certain way. It was so in a way, meant, a similar process. Yeah, it was not meant for the broader audience, it was meant for the people that were in that room. And then when you go into the media side, and I have obviously have friends outside of football, those conversations, I don't want to have to explain myself a million times. So I don't say dumbing it down, I think it's just... It's, it's reducing it down to what are the core you know, pluses and minuses with players and make it easily digestible. It doesn't do me any good as an analyst to give you a huge meal that you can't digest. I really appreciate that. Is this year particularly tricky? Is there such a thing? Or do most years follow a similar kind of pattern for you? It's about acknowledging who these young men are, identifying the best amongst the bunch, and informing the masses about them. Or is this year particularly tricky? I'm asking for a reason. Yeah, it's, it's definitely tricky this it year. It is. Why? And, and the, there's a, two reasons. Number one, we have a, a litany of quarterbacks. Yes. So that, that makes it difficult trying to figure out where they come off the board and how that all works. The other thing is there's most years, it could be anywhere from 12 to 14 guys. So you'll say, okay, these are the 14 premier players Around the league, we might have them in different orders. But unquestionably, But these are the 14 the guys. And maybe nine for you is 11 for me, and six for you is 14 for me. Copy that. This year, it doesn't, it doesn't follow that format. So, in other words, there's not even really agreement on who the top corner is. There's not agreement on who the top receiver is, the top tackle, on and on and on and on. There's no, there's no agreement around the league. So, that's why it's wide open. I've always been curious about this. Obviously, you are friends with Lance and with Chad yeah. and with Bucky here in our building. Are you friends with or rivals with, can you be both, with Mel Kuyper? I love Mel Kuyper. You do? I love him. And he's because somebody- in some ways, those of us on the outside who are watching at home, right, yeah. and are, can't wait for our, either our team to come up or just to see as a voyeur how this whole drama plays out, mm-hmm. there is a part of us that believes that you guys must be at odds, be at loggerheads, kind mm-hmm. of not hate each other, I, I, kind of a team of rivals, this respectful kind of, you know, antagonism. No, none of that. You're friends. No, and it's the same way in scouting. In scouting, you go on the road with all these other teams, and so I might work for the Ravens, and one of my best friends might work for the Steelers. It's just the way it is, and we, we're in a small industry, and to go give you a personal story on Mel Kuyper real quick here, um, when I was in college, I, he, you know, I was enamored with the draft. I loved the draft, and I became got to know Chris Mortensen and, and became good friends with him and so he had invited me to the draft while I was still in college to answer his phones off to the side of the set got to meet Mel um, Mel treated me like I was the most important person in the room he's that genuinely good of a human being and the going into my senior year I, I graduated in December I wasn't even going to pursue professional football but if you go look up my senior year in 2000 and look in Mel Kuyper's blue draft book you'll see my name in there under the quarterbacks. Isn't that amazing? Uh, let's talk quarterback classes. I'm of the opinion but I don't really know anything. I'm going based on what I feel and based on what I hear, an amalgam of what I get from you guys. I get a sense that this is an overvalued QB class once you get past the first and the second name. Am I overstating that or am I onto something? I feel like you have a good sense of what you're buying with the first two guys. And for me, that, that starts with Bryce Young and then goes to C.J. Stroud. Others might have it in the opposite order. Okay, uh, let's talk about that. Let me interrupt with, yeah. with intention here because in Daniel Jeremiah's Mock Draft 3.0, I invite you to go to NFL.com to get the full list. I also invite you, of course, to always check in with NFL Network for all of the pre-draft coverage, including pro days. Don't forget, tomorrow it's C.J. Stroud on the field for OSU. The day after, it's Bryce Young on the field for that little, that little program down in, where is it, Alabama? 
Alabama, that's right. And on Friday, it's Will Levis in Kentucky. Make sure to get all of your Pro Day coverage on NFL Network. Let's talk about your Mock Draft 3.0. With the first pick in the 2023 NFL Draft, the Carolina Panthers select Bryce Young. Yeah. No-brainer for you? For me, it is. He's I mean, the best. He's the best player. And he's the best. He's the most ready. He's ready week one on Sunday. Absolutely. He's, he's dialed in, ready to go. And the stories they'll tell you at Alabama about his preparation exceed even what you see on the tape. With the second pick, the Houston Texans select C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud. Yeah, and again, whatever order those guys go in, I think those are the first two picks. Okay, now in my estimation, and I'm stealing this from Mike Yam, who said this the other day, and I think he's on to something. The draft really begins at four, he says. Indianapolis becomes the de facto capital, the epicenter of drama for this draft. You would make a slight amendment to that. You believe the draft starts at? At three. Yeah, because I think if you're sitting there and you're the Arizona Cardinals with a bad football team and a new coach and a new general manager, you want to add as many new pieces as you can. You are not one player away. There's no reason for you to stick and pick at three when there could be quarterback needy teams that want to get in front of the Indianapolis Colts. And maybe it's the Indianapolis Colts themselves to be able to get out. So that's a movable piece for you. I believe so. Trade down very likely. You don't do trade downs no. until the very end, until your last mock draft. We will look for that. Yeah. Right now, DJ has Will Anderson Jr. For you, the best non-quarterback off the board. He goes first. Correct. He's one of the safer players. And the Colts, if, it, if it's true that the draft begins at four, as Mike Yam believes, the Colts pick Anthony Richardson. High upside, but more of a project than a pro, correct? Correct, but I think the infrastructure is in place there with the Indianapolis Colts to develop a player like this. Jalen Carter at five. I find that interesting. We're not going to go name by name. I'll no. stop this first 10 at five. Jalen Carter, obviously a dizzying offseason, mm -hmm. a troubling offseason. Concerns about character accounts for his drop, or would he have always ended up in this spot? Is his talent just too good to pass up no matter what is happening off the field? Just talent. He's the most talented player in the draft. He is. He was He's your number, number one. He was my number one player before all this stuff happened, and then I moved into my number five overall player, and I have him going five overall in the draft. A lot of people have four quarterbacks going in the top ten. You do not. Will Levis is not off the board until? Tampa. So I had Tampa at 19. Dropping Tampa, all the way who down. desperately needs a running back. But if, as you see it, Bijan Robinson is already gone at 14 to the Patriots, then no, don't overreach for a second running back in the first round. No. Get your quarterback of the future, Will Levis. Yeah, it's a really deep running back class, so they'll be able to find options later on. And they're not ready to win right now. I think I know they brought some of these veterans back, but this still feels like an offseason where they need to start building towards the future. Last quarterback that you name check in your 3.0, Hendon Hooker. Kirk Cousins, begin the process of looking over your shoulder now. On the one hand, it'll help stretch your neck. On the second hand, it may actually help you because Hendon Hooker is in your rearview mirror, according to Daniel Jeremiah. Talk to me about that pick. Yeah, he, he is a player that, to me, if he's not coming off of an ACL and you didn't have him being a little bit older, he'd be a surefire lock as a first-round pick, probably a top-15 pick. But when you look at the Minnesota Vikings, you do not have Kirk Cousins secured long-term. They have been doing extensive homework on this quarterback class at the Combine and, and into the spring. So that, to me, uh, looks like it could be a marriage we see. First tight end off the board. I see it's going to my Washington commanders, Dalton Kincaid. I like this pick for us. You like this pick for us. He's one of my favorite players in the draft. I, I would, you know, he had an injury late in the year, so he wasn't able to participate at the Combine. But this dude has got unbelievable ability to separate and make big plays. If you want to know what he's all about, do yourself a favor, hop on YouTube, and just type in Dalton Kincaid, USC, and watch what he did to the Trojans. Copy that, will do. Mental note. Last question about the draft, Dallas. Today we celebrate the Dallas Cowboys. They sit there at 26. You have them taking defensive tackle out of Michigan. Go blue, my wife would say, Messi <laughs> Smith. Yeah, and with Smith, you got somebody that's just hulking. I mean, he's a big jumbo athlete who's been really good against the run. 
He's raw as a pass rusher, but there is disruption. There might not be the production, but there is disruption and upside there. You are listening to NFL Total Access, the podcast, and it is time to restart the clock in our countdown to the NFL Draft. Today, we turn that spotlight, if we can get a spotlight big enough, that is, on the Dallas Cowboys. Okay, let's give you a little Dallas Cowboys history. Their very first season in the NFL, 1960. Super Bowl championships, five. Count them, five. Super Bowls, six, 12, 27, 28, and 30. Five Super Bowls, incidentally, tied for third most in NFL history. Retired jersey numbers? How about goose egg? Zero. I kind of like that about this team. They hold no one player above the team, no retired jerseys. Now, if they were to retire some jerseys, I should think that some of their 20 former stars who are in the Hall of Fame would make the list. Guys like Troy Aikman, Larry Allen, Tony Dorsett, Bob Hayes, Michael Irvin, the playmaker, our colleague and friend, Bob Lilly, Mel Renfro, Emmett Smith, Roger Staubach, Randy White, and Rayfield Wright. Now, two coaches in the Hall of Fame as well, Tex Schramm, I'm sure his name will come up, and Tom Landry, of course the gentle gentleman with that debonair hat. Their win-loss record as a team, 550 wins, 408 losses, six ties. That is a .574 win percentage. If you're a numbers person, you will recognize that as the best win percentage in NFL history. Playoff wins, 36. That's tied for third most in NFL postseason history. Okay, that's history. Let's go more recent. What were they in 2022? Well, they were 12 and 5. Second in the NFC East. They ended up being the fifth seed in the NFC. They humbled the Bucks in Tampa Bay in the wild card round of the playoffs. They have won the wild card game in Tampa, beating the Buccaneers. 31 to 14. And then, of course, they lost in a low scoring battle to the Niners in the divisional round. And this game is over. And so is the Cowboys' season. The Cowboys were competitive. They were confusing. But on their day, they were inconquerable. Just ask the Vikings, who were riding a seven-game winning streak when the Cowboys came to town and waltzed away in a rout. Final score, Cowboys 40, Vikings 3. Pollard streaks in. Touchdown, Tony Pollard. The 2022 Cowboys were balanced in some very important ways. Scoring offense, they ranked fourth. Scoring defense, they ranked fifth. They were fourth in the NFL at not giving up sacks. They were third in the NFL at creating them. Back goes Jones, down goes Jones. Parsons beat the left tackle clean. They had the best red zone offense in the entire league and the NFL's best defense when it came to creating turnovers. Deep down the left side, it is intercepted by Dan. This is a team that boasts names like Dak Prescott, Tony Pollard, CeeDee Lamb, Micah Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence, Trayvon Diggs, oh, and an O-line with at least two future Hall of Famers on it. Tyron Smith, Zach Martin, I'm looking at you. 
Mike McCarthy and Dan Quinn, of course, are the guys pulling the strings as coaches. And Jerry Jones, well, he's pulling the purse strings and every other string that's available. Free agency pickups so far, not insignificant. Wide receiver Brandon Cooks, he of the six thousand yard campaigns in only eight NFL seasons. And Stephon Gilmore, he of the former Defensive Player of the Year award. Dalton Schultz, of course, is out. Zeke Elliott, of course, has been released, and that gets us to today. What will they be in 2023? Well, first things first, the draft. They have eight picks in total. A first rounder, a second rounder, a third, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth, and two sevenths. Okay, Daniel Jeremiah, Cowboys picks, they have eight in total. Mm -hmm. Draft season is upon us, by the way, listener. April 27th, it all goes down in Kansas City. The 2023 NFL Draft presented by Verizon happens right here on NFL Network and NFL Plus. Thursday, April 27th, 8 p.m. Eastern, it all kicks off. Be there. Don't miss it. DJ, Cowboys draft needs. Do you agree with Rojo on the roster now that we are talking O-linemen, tight ends, and cornerbacks, or do you still put running backs on that list? They've addressed a lot of those needs in free agency, but I would still agree that those are positions you could continue to fortify. You would give the Cowboys a draft grade of A-plus if they do what? Finish that sentence. I think add, add more blue players, like difference-making players in their front seven. That's what I want to see. They already have some key pieces there, obviously led by Micah Parsons, but I'd love to see him get an interior player that can be disruptive. Very interesting, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Dallas Cowboys do what this season? Well, I mean, I, I, it's a throwback to the 90s, I feel like, with what they're doing with McCarthy taking over the play calling, so I guess I wouldn't be surprised if they decide to flip the script and run the ball more than they throw it. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a callback time right now with the, what they're trying to do. Okay, so I was fishing for a prediction, but I really like what you're giving me because it's more of a scheme look that we will see a commitment to the run a la the old days of the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, that's basically what they said with Kellen Moore moving on because Kellen Moore, I mean, this is a top five offense while he was there and they were chucking it and making all kinds of plays, but they felt like they lost some of their physicality, lost some of their presence in the run game, and that's going to be the focus. So it feels like to me they're trying to get a time machine. With a slight exodus of talent in Philadelphia due to free agency, with the pickups of Brandon Cooks and Stephon Gilmore, with what you expect the Cowboys to do in the offseason, and a slight scheme adjustment that you just intimated. Have they closed the gap on the Eagles? Would you be surprised if they win the NFC East this year? I don't know that they've closed the gap. I still think the Eagles are better. I still think the Eagles are deeper, even with what they lost in free agency. I believe in the Eagles more than I believe in the Cowboys, and I think that the other reason that I would lean in Philly's direction is I don't think that, that Jalen Hurts has even scratched the surface of what he's going to be. I love what you're saying, and that's as a Washington fan. Last thing, I have heard that you grew up a Cowboys fan. Chargers fans, close your ears. <laughs> yes, the Chargers write some of this man's checks, and he loves his Chargers. He lives and dies with the Padres, apparently. He's got San Diego colored blood running through his veins. However, yeah. there is a part of your heart that is reserved for the star. Who is your favorite ever Cowboys player? True story, uh, Herschel Walker was my favorite player, which a lot of people will not, you know, they always give you Tony Dorsett or Emmett Smith. For me, it was Herschel Walker. My brother was getting recruited to college, and Sam Ritigliano, uh was coaching at Liberty, the old Browns coach. And he recruited my brother, and he came in, and I was a young kid, and he said, he asked me, who's your favorite player? And I said, Herschel Walker. And he said, I'll tell you what. I know Herschel Walker. I'll get an autographed picture of Herschel Walker. have it sent to your house. My brother signed with Liberty, and I'm still waiting on that picture from Herschel Walker. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite Cowboys memory? 
Is it as a kid? Oh, ninety. I mean, the Super Bowls in the nineties. I mean, jumping up and down on my couch wearing a, a Dallas Cowboys starter jacket. So yeah, those are fun times. Well played. Thank you so much for Thanks, being buddy. here today. And now it's the biggest crowd we've ever heard outside the walls of what? The NFL Hall of Fans. Let's throw open the door, shall we, and let them in. Cowboys fans like our friend and producer Jason Brooksby, whose favorite ever Cowboys player, Roger Staubach. Get used to that answer. Number 12, he was the first fave when I fell in love with sports and football, and Rogers was my guy, Brooksby says. JB grew up in the San Francisco area, so why am I a Cowboys fan? Well, he walked in on his father watching a Cowboys and Cardinals game when he was just a little kid. Didn't even know what was on the screen. His father asked him, who do you want to win? Jason looked up and said, who are the guys with the stars on their helmet? His dad said, those are the Cowboys. To which Brooksby apparently said, let's go Cowboys. And he was hooked from that moment on. Brooksby says his childhood memories are the most impactful. Those are the ones that stay with him now when he was still just a little kid. Games in the 70s and the 80s. Games that featured moments like Terry Bradshaw to Lynn Swan in Super Bowl X when his Cowboys lost. Games like that famous game at Candlestick Park where Joe Montana to Dwight Clark in the back of the end zone. It was the NFC Championship game. It was, of course, the catch when his Cowboys were seconds away from yet another Super Bowl appearance. But, of course, they lost. And I get it. The losses sting. And that sting stays with you, regrettably, sometimes longer and more vividly than the joys of victory. But Jason does remember very fondly the Danny White to Drew Pearson against the Falcons touchdown in the divisional round of the 1980 playoffs. And yet he's quick to remind us that even that moment of joy was trumped by a loss the next week to the Eagles in the next round. As a kid, JB wore Tony Dorsett's jersey number 33. He proudly calls out the 12 conference championship games the Cowboys played between 1966 and 1985. Think about that, 12 in 20. He says that his biggest regret as a Cowboys fan is that Danny White never made it to a Super Bowl. It'll be the perfect offseason for my Cowboys, JB says, if they get their running back situation sorted, either through the draft or free agency, because the Zeke era is over. And he finishes by saying, I wouldn't be surprised if the Cowboys win the NFC East and then lose in the divisional round of the playoffs. Cowboys fans like our resident QB1, David Carr. Yes, that David Carr, who will, of course, rock the black and gold of New Orleans with Derek, now in a Saints uniform. And David will always carry love for the Texans, who drafted him, and the Giants, who got him his Super Bowl ring. But David grew up a Cowboys fan, and his favorite player was Troy Aikman, he says. Not even close. He grew up a Cowboys fan in the early 90s in Bakersfield, and he said at that time, of course, it was just magical. He wore number eight as a quarterback because of Troy Aikman. He says that the first time he visited the home of his future wife, when they were just teenagers, she had a Troy Aikman poster on the wall, and he knew in that moment that he was in the right place with the right girl. David also recounts a dinner in Houston, his rookie year in the NFL. It was Super Bowl week. The Texans, of course, weren't in it. But David was invited to a dinner, and David and his then-wife, Melody, were seated next to whom? Troy Aikman and his wife. An epic conversation followed, he says. They became friends, and in that moment, he said, a football life goal had been achieved. Fans like my very best friend growing up in Virginia, Scott Leipzig, who, surrounded by Washington fans his whole childhood, decided that he would rather be a Cowboys fan. 
Now, I felt like that was bad luck at the time to have a best friend who rooted for the enemy, but little did I know then that caring for someone on the other side of the wall, so to speak, was a life lesson I didn't even know I was getting. Fans like broadcast associate Sidney Tyndall, a Texas girl whose favorite player is Dak. So, you know, back off with your Dak comments, certainly around Sid the Kid. Sidney bonded with her father watching Cowboys games as a child. She said she was lucky enough to go to a few of those games in Dallas, and she can still feel the energy of those events in her body to this day. You know Cowboys fans, she said. Yeah, Sydney, I do. She admits to a love-hate relationship with the Cowboys. She says that just comes with being a Cowboys fan lately, but says that this team, this current incarnation, is, quote, almost there. That she goes into every season thinking this could be the year. She would love a receiver or a running back in the draft, and she wouldn't be surprised if her Cowboys, quote, get caught again, end quote. I like that phrase, caught again. In a trap, I suppose she means, either of an opponent's or their very own. You are listening to NFL Total Access, the podcast. I'm your host, NFL Network senior writer, Andrew Levy. And Cowboys fans like today's very special guest, the fan of honor, the coordinating producer and showrunner of NFL Total Access. He is a veteran of more than a quarter of a century in the biz. He's an acclaimed newsman, a gentleman, a scholar. The guy is a professor at USC. He's the pride of his home state of Texas, and he happens to be my boss. So please sit up straight for Kingsley Smith. Welcome, sir. Yes, the Hall of Fans welcomes Kingsley Smith. Hey, bud. Hey, man. Glad to have you. Kingsley, why are you a Cowboys fan? I am a Cowboys fan because, frankly, I didn't have a choice growing up. It was if I wanted to watch football on Sunday, we were watching the Cowboys. And that's just the way it went. And not do you want to watch the Cowboys. It's sit down, we're watching the Cowboys. They're the noon game today, Central Time Zone. So we're going to early church so we can get home in time watch the Cowboys at noon or if it's the late game get what you need to get done done because at three o'clock we're watching the Cowboys and if it was Monday night football get your homework done because we're watching the Cowboys <laughs> it's so funny you should say that as a Washington fan and listener I wore my Washington commanders hat today only for just a little bit of balance in the room with all of this Cowboys love but of course it was the same for us we would go to Monday 530 mass if we couldn't make it work on Sundays, but not, of course, if it was a Monday night game with Washington. Right. We would adjust. We would go Sunday 7, Sunday 8, 9.30, or 11, depending on when the game was, and we would always start listening to the game on the radio on the way back home from church. So we had similar experiences, the difference, of course, being you had a lot more wins, you had a lot more success. How proud are you of your association with this team that you didn't choose, they chose you, but, man, you could have gone a different direction and been a lot more miserable in your life. Well, certainly, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be where I am today. And even with the mediocrity that the Cowboys have found so easily, it seems, over the past uh, several seasons, um, I still live in the glow of the uh, Jimmy Johnson years. I remember where I was when I heard that Jerry Jones was the new owner of the Cowboys. I was at a party, 
in, in, in Tyler, Texas, and somebody said, hey, Cowboys got a new owner. And who is it? Oh, it's some insurance salesman from uh, Arkansas. In, he's in the oil business. Paid hundred and something million dollars for him. Can you believe that? And I was like, hey, we're going to be okay. You know, I mean, the, why wouldn't you want a swashbuckler as your leader? Why wouldn't you want somebody who at his news conference says socks and jocks? I mean, he was, he was on board. It's, it's, it's memories of the Cowboys that keep me there with the star and memories that go back, way back. Kings, Jerry Jones bought the Cowboys in February of 1989 for a total price of, as you said, $150 million. Now, think about this, listener. That team is now the most valuable sports team on planet Earth, not just in the United States, on planet Earth. It is number one. It is worth in the range of $8 billion. Just because he's a swashbuckler doesn't mean that he is one very savvy businessman, Jerry Jones. Oh, my goodness gracious. Kingsley, let's get to it. Who is your favorite ever Cowboys player and why? Roger Staubach. Number 12, the OG number 12. Not you, Tom Brady. Not you, Aaron Rodgers. It's you, Roger Staubach. I would have knockdown, dragout fights with my brother, with um, Roger Bongiovanni across the street on who got to be <laughs> Roger Staubach when we played football in my grandmother's side yard. She had this beautiful turf, Andrew. The trees were gone. It, 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 a long time ago, it had been a pecan orchard and the pecan trees had since died. They'd been cleared and it was just this gorgeous turf and we would play football there. And the first order of business was who you were on the field. Of course. Everybody wanted to be Roger Staubach. And if you couldn't be Roger Staubach, then I wanted to be Cliff Harris. Oh, look at you. Cliff Harris. That man could play. And I had a great memory, too. You know, remember Walt Garrison played for the Cowboys? Oh, my gosh, of course. And through business dealings and whatnot, I got to meet Walt Garrison. He had business with our family. And uh, the two things I remember about him were his size. I mean, he was a Coke machine. You know, he used to do those commercials for um, chewing tobacco, just a pinch between your cheek and gum, real tobacco flavor without lighting up. And he always had that. First time I met him was at a bank downtown Tyler, Texas, and he had, and he was just looking around for a place to do something, and I just saw him swallow. And I went, man, that's a man right there. That's a man. <laughs> do you have, of so many to choose from, is there a single game or a single moment when you felt most exhilarated and most joyful about your Cowboys fandom? Well, when we first started talking about this, I re the memory that first came to mind November 28th, 1974. Did I get the date right there? Oh November 28th, goodness. Thanksgiving Day. You're really going to do this to me. And This is not nice, guys. Here it comes. We had to get everything done because the Cowboys were going to be on Thanksgiving Day. And it was a raucous occasion, to put it, put it nicely. On the, heck, I don't know, Zenith or whatever, big TV that somebody had hauled down there. We were watching it, and all of a sudden, it got quiet because Roger Staubach was coming out of the game, and he didn't come back in. Who were you playing the on Washington, that game? The Washington Redskins. Yes, you were. Okay, and Stallback goes down. And I remember as a little kid, my father, who was a gentle, gentle soul, and he would never cheer for anyone getting hurt. But as a Washington fan in that moment, I remember there being a little lift, a little joy that, oh, this game just got a little bit more winnable because 
Number 12 was going out. In comes. In comes <laughs> the mad bomber Clint Longley. Oh, Without even a warm-up throw or a second of pro experience, Clint Longley was cast in a storybook role with only a cool head and a strong right arm to rely on. And he was the guy that backed up Roger Staubach, and that was probably the easiest job to have at the time because Roger Staubach never came out of the game, except on Thanksgiving Day in 1974. Longley's touchdown to Billy Joe Dupree brought Dallas to within a touchdown of the lead. He walked out of that game with the nickname the Mad Bomber because he came in and just slung that ball all over that horrible turf at Texas Stadium. Longley generaled the Cowboys into the lead. And the place went wild. Everybody that I'm watching the game with is going nuts. They're hugging, they're screaming. That it's like, my goodness, they can win this game. The storybook hero rarely loses out in fiction, and neither did Clint Longley on Thanksgiving Thursday. 50 yards through a defense eagerly laying back for the bomb they knew would come. It came. They always said <laughs> that there was a hole in the top of Texas Stadium so God could watch his team. <laughs> oh, God. And that is, that, is that what they said? Is that what they said? And that Thanksgiving, like all Thanksgivings, <laughs> The good Lord was watching his team wow. and enjoying a turkey dinner. Wow. And he said it's time for Clint Longley to have his moment. Oh, sweet victory. You could argue, looking at how that 74 season ended, that we got the last laugh, but we didn't. The fact is, we made the playoffs, you didn't make the playoffs, but we lost badly in the first round of the playoffs that year, and the play that everybody remembers from that season is exactly the one that you remembered and recalled for us today. And as much as it hurts, it hurts my old man more than it hurts me, but as much as that hurts, I do love that. I love getting a, a look back into our shared past, and for one, one man's triumph is another man's tragedy, and for you that day it was triumph, and for us it was tragedy, and that's the beauty of sports. Kingsley, what is it about this Cowboys team that everybody seems to love? You go anywhere in the world, and if there are NFL fans, chances are pretty good there are Cowboys fans. What is it about this team? You would know better than I would. There is something special. What is it? Well, I always look at Tex Schramm. He could see around the corner, and so he made sure they were in the NFC East, so they played with the East Coast teams. And he made sure they had training camp in California, and he sent the team to Mexico on goodwill visits. And so he, he did what he could to build that fan base beyond the Metroplex in Dallas, beyond Dallas-Fort Worth. And they lived up to the hype. More often than not, they really did. I remember the voice of Pat Summerall calling Cowboys games. Right now, it rings in my ears like it was yesterday. And it was 30, 40 years ago. There was something about the uniform. There was something about the swagger, certainly something about the, the crowd. They just seemed better dressed more confident, more cocky, and yeah, through one prism it strikes some as arrogance, and yet it was joy. It was love for their team. It was, it was love and appreciation for their region, for their area. Texans are always bullish about Texas. Um, not every state can say that. You meet somebody from Texas, you'll know it. Why? Because they'll proudly announce it. And I love that about your home state, and I love that about this Cowboys team. And it carried on. The score may not have ended up, the record may not have ended up how you have hoped, but the swagger never left. Danny White was never Roger Staubach. And yet he went to three NFC Championship games. Right. You have this character of players from, you know, the Manster, Randy White, Ed Too Tall Jones, you know, Robert Newhouse, a fullback's fullback. 
you had players that accepted their role, and that was so important to the fans and the fans that accepted them and what they were doing. You have wistfully name-checked great Cowboys from the past. Let's turn the page and look at this present incarnation, and let's peek into the future a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised, Kingsley Smith, if my Dallas Cowboys did what this season? I think that the Cowboys will win the NFC East, and the window is tightening. The window is tightening in my mind to make a respectable playoff run, something that doesn't end with Zeke playing center or Dak running down the field as the clock expires. The ceiling is always, for Cowboys fans, the Super Bowl. Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. Would you be surprised if your team, the silver and blue, make an appearance in that Super Bowl? I think if they can host the NFC Championship game, Las Vegas is very much in play. The last word on this goes to you. I'm so grateful for your time and so thankful for your stories. And it's so nice, listener, you will will notice that I carefully curated today's fan of honor. Yes, because he's my boss, but also because when you talk about the Dallas Cowboys, you should have the cocksure, confident drawl of a man who hails from Tyler, Texas. Kingsley Smith, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Best of luck to you. I am a lover of changing narratives. And if my Washington narrative can't change, but yours can, well, then we will embrace it and celebrate it if and when it does. I hope for you that it does. Thank you very much. I want to thank all of today's special guests, draft expert Daniel Jeremiah. Go check out DJ's 3.0 mock draft on NFL.com. I want to thank our fan of honor today, my boss, Kingsley Smith and all of the Dallas Cowboys fans who were so gracious in sharing their stories with us today. Congratulations to you, Cowboys fans. This day belongs to you. The question is, will the 2023 season belong to you? You certainly have the hope. You've always had the hype. Let's see it on the field. Time will tell. Please join us tomorrow, listener, when our countdown to the draft hits the big city, New York City. Well, Jersey, technically, it becomes New York Giants Day. It's the G-Men. It's the New York football giants. What will the perfect offseason be? What do they need in the draft? Who should they grab in the draft? And what will their 2023 narrative be? Will it be one of uptick and surprise as it was this past year? Or are they due for a dip? Answers tomorrow. Till then, ciao for now. NFL Total Access is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.